Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Right? Y'all remember? Y'all remember the crafts in VBS where where you have the little tree and Zacchaeus on the on the rope, and and you pull the rope, and he go he climbs up in the tree. Y'all remember those? I remember doing that craft. I don't know how many years I did that craft. Maybe four or five, but you know, you would think by now we'd come up with a different way for Zacchaeus to climb the tree. I don't know. But it's a story that we have heard since we were knee-high to a grasshopper. Zacchaeus, he, he wants to see Jesus, but he's too short. He can't see over the crowds. And so when Jesus is coming, he finds a tree, a sycamore tree, right? Because the song said sycamore tree. So he climbs this sycamore tree, and he's waiting to see Jesus. And Jesus comes up and looks up and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. We always pointed when we got to that part of the song. Because I'm going to your house today, right? Okay, we all there? Okay. What's amazing to me is Zacchaeus gives us a story of what redemption looks like. And we kind of miss it in Sunday school. Because it's all about, you know, you see Jesus and then he promises to do good. And that's kind of, and it kind of gets, I don't know, maybe a little bit, I don't want to say watered down, but maybe it gets a little bit frosted over. So let's take a look at Zacchaeus and let's, let's see, let's see if the biblical story might have something to say to us and not just to the four-year-olds in Sunday school. Luke chapter 19, we'll begin in verse 1. Y'all stand with me. I know we didn't do this this morning because I didn't read it all in one chunk, but y'all stand as we read God's Word. And this is God's Word. Uh, If you read it, if you let it, if you'll get out of the way, it'll change your life. Zacchaeus and Jesus. He entered Jericho and was passing through. This is Jesus on the move, headed toward Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was so small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Pray with me. Father, you came to seek and to save the lost. Help us realize that's us. Help us realize that you're here to seek us out and to save us. But for your grace, but for your overwhelming grace, we would be lost. Father, teach us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. You know, it's amazing. Um, The biblical story and the Sunday school account aren't that much different. Sometimes you get a story like, like, the, the prodigal son, where you get like most of the story right, but then you leave off the most important part, the part that where Jesus is really twisting it on the crowd and really, really teaching them the valuable lesson that not only does God rejoice over all repentant sinners, but that we should too, that as God's people, we should be rejoicing. You, you don't get that in the Sunday school lesson because it's all about the prodigal coming home and, and everything's hunky-dory and they throw a big party. And that's a great place to end when you're three or four. And Unfortunately, the Bible goes on and we often miss 
where the story's really leading. Zacchaeus isn't quite like that. Zacchaeus, we kind of get to what the story's about, but we tend to gloss it over as though, as though we kind of make, again, I don't want to say we water it down because I don't think we water it down and I don't think we sanitize it or we change the meaning of it. I just think we don't explore its depths and we let it stick in Sunday school mode where it's just kind of all big airbrush and it all is big bubble letters and looks nice, but we don't get to the detail. Jesus is going through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And what's he going to do in Jerusalem? He's going to die. And he knows he's going to die. And he's been telling his disciples that he's going to die, but they're not listening to him. Or if they're listening, they don't understand what he's talking about. They think he's speaking in some kind of riddle or parable. They're, they're not quite seeing what he's, what he's trying to teach them. But he is on his way to die, and he knows it full well. When he crosses through Jericho, he's going to move in only about 10 miles or so, almost a straight shot from Jericho across to Jerusalem. Within a couple of days, he will be there, and he will be looking around the Temple Mount. In fact, later in this chapter, he enters Jerusalem. So he is almost at his journey end, almost at the point where it all goes down. That final week, Luke devotes like five chapters to. John puts five chapters all on a single night. That week is so important. That that night is so important for John that he spends copious amounts of time just telling us what Jesus taught in that, in that one night. Matthew and Mark also give lots of time in their gospel to these final days of Christ. But just before this, he's passing through Jerusalem, through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And there's a guy in town. He's heard a lot about him. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors. Not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. All right? Let, let, let's take a little poll. How many of you could honestly say your favorite person works for the IRS? Yeah, I didn't think so. IRS agents aren't exactly popular, right? Tax man, not exactly a fun guy to hang around, right? No, I'm sure there are some that are fun guys. Don't get me wrong. But we don't generally think of them favorably, do we? And it's not so much their fault. It's, it's what they do, right? It's the taxes that we don't like. The people we, eh, whatever, you know, that's fine. You know, you got a job. I understand that. Uh, uh, they're better than telemarketers and politicians but they're not as good as the dentist that pulls your teeth and does root canals on you without anesthesia, right? I mean, they're, they're not very high up on the list of our favorite people. In that day, it was much worse, and for good reason. In that day, Rome would say, all right, you need to collect taxes from everybody. Everybody's tax is 100 bucks. You give us 100 bucks for each person, right? So the tax collector would go around. The chief tax collector probably told his guys, make sure you get 120 because he's got to get a cut. Well, the tax collector comes up and says, you owe Rome $250. You see what's happening. They're embezzling money. Now, Rome didn't care. They got their 100. They don't care. Tax collectors got lots of money and were generally well off. How do you think they were received in society? They weren't received in society. They were outcast. They were less than human. In that day, honor was principle. You had to have some kind of honor. And guess what? Tax collectors didn't have any because they stole and robbed people blind. Everybody could look at a tax collector and know that guy ain't worth nothing. Kind of like we think of trial lawyers. You know, 
the guys you see on TV, dial four because I'll win you more. That's one I just made up. I don't want to actually point out a specific one. You get you get my point, right? Tax collectors held that kind of lack of esteem. In fact, for you to be seen with a tax collector, well, they, they even say it in here. He's a sinner. That word for sinner is not just he does stuff that's wrong. That word for sinner is he's the worst of the worst. In fact, it's the tax collector who's praying in the temple. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee says, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector over there. And the tax collector is saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He knows he's a sinner. He knows he's in bad shape. And here's Zacchaeus. He's trying to see Jesus. He's heard the stories. He's heard about the miracles. He's heard all the cool teaching and things. He's heard that this microphone won't stay on my head. I'm sorry, y'all. I keep trying to adjust it, but it keeps moving. He's heard all of the stories about Christ. He's heard of all the, the, the incredible feats and, and, and the marvelous teachings and the feedings of 5,000 people. And he's heard of all these things and he wants to just see this Jesus in action. It, are the stories true? And he hears Jesus is coming and he's trying to see and it's not like there are five people standing there and Jesus can't get around the five. It's like there are 5,000 people. Think, college football, Okay. Think of before you're trying to get in the stadium and, and they're doing their walk. You know, because every team has a walk. They walk from this place to that place and there's a whole bunch of people that are cheering for them or whatever. They're signing autographs along the way, whatever they're doing, right? Okay? Now, this guy is four foot and he's trying to get around all these people to get to see what's going on. But he can't get through. Now, how many of you are going to let the tax collector through? You're absolutely not, Right? That guy stole money from you. Not only am I not going to let him through, he might get an elbow or two. I might, I might not, not only let him through, I might, I might just, I might just return the favor, if you know what I mean. Let's just knock him out of there. He can't get to Jesus. These, this massive crowd all around and, and wherever Jesus goes, there's a massive crowd, right? He's got to get up early to get by himself. Because if he's up at the crack of dawn, people are waiting for him. So he's got to sneak out while it's still night before people get up so he can have some time alone. This Jesus, he can't get, he can't get to Jesus. And all he wants to do is just see Jesus. All he wants to do is to verify the stories. I don't think he's looking to be changed by Jesus, to talk to Jesus. I don't think he's looking for that. I think he just wants to know, is this true? Are the stories I'm hearing true? He just wants to see Jesus. He can't get to him. And he finally sees his option. There's a tree, a nice sycamore tree. Sycamore trees are, are medium-sized trees. They're not huge. They're big enough to climb. And they're big enough to get in a little bit over people's heads. And he says, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get lost in the crowd anymore. He runs to that tree. He climbs up in the tree because Jesus is headed that way. What if Jesus turned and went somewhere else? You ever thought about that? I almost wonder if Jesus sees Zacchaeus running to get up in the tree and says, I got to go that way. I almost wonder. Because you know there are multiple paths in the city. There's a bunch of ways to get around. Jesus could get around whatever way he wants to. You, you just got to imagine that he sees Zacchaeus climbing in the tree and he says, I got to go that way. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Jesus is headed his way. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you got to come down, right? Notice what he says. He says, hurry and come down. That hurry is a participle, okay? Normally, we would say, hurrying, come down. 
But I, I almost wonder if Jesus has to say, get down here now. What are you doing up there? Get down. Scurry on down here. I got to come to your house. I'm going to your house. Now, Daryl, I'm going to your house for dinner. That easy? I figured you'd say, you'll be sorry. Okay, there we go. Maybe I better clear it with Susie. We don't just tell people we're going to their house for dinner. What do we do? You either wait for an invitation, if you're really proper, or you ask nicely if you want to be invited. Yeah, we need to get together sometime. You mind if I came to your house one day? Or we call people up that we want to visit. Hey, we, we were just we were going to go ta- visit a couple folks. Do you mind if we stop over for a little while? We ask permission, right? Because we want to be nice. Jesus doesn't do that. He's just like, I'm going to your house. I must stay at your house today. Why? Why must Jesus stay at the house of a chief tax collector? Why must Jesus specifically stay at this house instead of just whoever might offer? How many times do you think he had been offered? Do you think someone in the town may have offered him already? Perhaps. Perhaps not. Perhaps they thought he's on the way to Jerusalem. He's not stopping here. In fact, Luke even says he entered Jericho and was passing through. It's almost as if God has stopped his son and said, all right, you see that guy right there? You need to go to his house. And Jesus has changed his plan based on what the Holy Spirit was doing. I'm firmly convinced that when Jesus enters Jericho, when Jesus enters Jericho, he is going to pass through. But by the time he sees Zacchaeus in that tree, he says, no, I don't need to pass through. I need to stop here. And so he goes to the house of a chief tax collector. And what does everybody else do? Well, first of all, look what he does. Verse 6. So he hurried and came down. The same language that Jesus tells him, hurry and come down. He hurries and comes to town and received him joyfully. He jumps at the opportunity. Now, he just wanted to see Jesus. Now he's got the opportunity to host him. Oh, this is incredible. So he comes and receives him joyfully. Now, to receive him would be the bare minimum. To receive him joyfully suggests that he wants more than the minimum. And when they saw it, what did the other people do? Well, they all celebrated, right? Party at Zacchaeus' house? No, they grumbled. (laughs) He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Can you hear the gossip dripping from those words? Can you hear it? He's He's gone in? To be a guest at the house of a sinner. Can you believe that? Didn't he know who this guy is? Uh, I definitely wouldn't be seen hanging out with him. He's definitely not the kind of folk you want to be around. In a culture of honor, it is dishonorable to be in the house of a sinner. <laughs> the king of honor doesn't care about man's honor. You see, I'm firmly convinced that sometimes we're more worried about our reputation than God's. There's a song where someone sings, I pray it's said about my life that I lived more to build your name than mine. Maybe our attitude ought to be, what do we do to build his name? How do we bring him glory? I pray for one of my sons that they would seek God's praise and not the praise of men. Because I don't want him to grow up looking for praise to everyone else and not realizing that he's missing the most important comments of all. Looking for approval from various people who do not matter and not seeking after the approval of the one who matters most. 
God is not interested in man's idea of honor. God is not interested in being in the good old boys club. God is not interested in being one of the insiders. He's interested in bringing people into his family. Interested in being honored in the dishonored. In the dishonorable. Because of the difference that he does. I said Zacchaeus is a story of redemption and that's exactly what happens. Verse 8. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Okay, so Hebrew law, you cheat somebody, you not only restore it, but in certain cases you restored it double. I'm not only going to give what I took from you, I'm going to give that same amount extra. See, that's, that's what you call stupid tax right? You do something stupid that you shouldn't do. Not only do you make it right for that individual, but you pay a stupid tax to teach you not to be so stupid. Y'all follow me? Okay, that's that's my version. That's not in the Bible. You're not going to find that in King James, okay? It's God's way of saying that you have to not only make it right, but you have to sacrifice in the same way that they have sacrificed to show your repentance for what you've done wrong. And Zacchaeus says, not only am I going to restore it, not only am I going to restore it the double that the law requires, I'm going to go double what the law requires and restore it fourfold. I'm going to give them four times what I took from them. Because I am so seeking repentance of God and of man, I am so willing to admit my wrong that I am willing to pay above and beyond what the law requires to demonstrate my repentance to God. Now, he didn't say it in those words, but that's what he's showing. I restore it fourfold. Don't you wish he had cheated you now? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you be glad if the IRS said, we overcharged you for taxes. You paid $2,000 extra. Here's a check for $8,000. Some of you would probably go to your cashier at the bank and say, is this a real check? Can you hold these funds until we're sure it clears? Because I sure don't want <laughs> What's my tax bill going to be next year? That's what I'm wondering. Remember, remember that extra 6000 we gave you? Guess what? <laughs> you owe us 10 That's not the way it works. But man, what a display of repentance. See, here's the reason I think this is a story of redemption. I don't think anyone is willing to go to that kind of length without themselves being forgiven. Without experiencing the forgiveness of God, I don't think anyone is willing to do that much. This is a person. We don't know what they talked about. Maybe, maybe in the course of conversation, Jesus showed Zacchaeus who he was. Maybe he wasn't directly talking about it, but maybe he was teaching him about God. Teaching him how God requires repentance of us. How God teaches us not to steal from our neighbors. How God shows us the way to live in reconciliation with him and with other people. And Zacchaeus says, I want that. Not only that, he says, half my goods I give to the poor. That's a nice little uh, donation. This is a person who is rich. And because he's a chief tax collector, he's probably nice and rich. This could very well bankrupt him. This could very well put him in the poorhouse. And he's willing to do it anyway. No wonder Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Did salvation come because of what Zacchaeus did? No. Salvation came because of why Zacchaeus did it. 
Having a heart of repentance is what brought the salvation. Him repenting of sin and choosing to follow God's ways instead of his ways, that is what brings salvation to that house. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of redemption between a tax collector and the God whom he had defrauded as he defrauded God's people throughout his life. Getting right with that God and saying, I repent of my sin. Yes, I'm reading between the lines, but I think I can fully and firmly say you don't give back fourfold without God making a difference in your heart. And Jesus even says, today salvation has come upon this house. I'm not going to argue with Jesus. I say that, boy, may it be true, because how easy is it to argue when we know that we have done someone wrong and we just don't want to give it up. We don't want to make it right. We're too afraid. We're afraid they might say no and not forgive. We're afraid that that they don't know about it yet, God. What if I mess up? What if I do it in a wrong way? And what if I ruin this friendship that we have? Jesus still calls us to reconciliation. I'm sure when Zacchaeus is giving that money back, he's going to encounter someone who didn't even know they were defrauded. Someone who thought they were paying their tax bill. I mean, everybody else is paying 250 Why shouldn't I? My rich neighbor paid 400 250 is pretty good. I'm sure he encountered some folks that knew that he was overcharging, but had no clue how much. Imagine the blessing that it would be. I said, you, you wish he had defrauded you, right? Because then he comes back and he gives you way more than he took from you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the accounting that would need to go on for him to figure out what he had defrauded anyone and being willing to give it back? Can you imagine that? Man, years of records that he would have to go through. That's a lot of effort just to demonstrate repentance. But can I tell you something? Repentance takes a lot of sacrifice for you, but the reconciliation that it brings is worth every ounce of effort, every penny spent, every difficulty encountered. Today, salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham, this one who was rejected in a society that claimed to be sons of Abraham, and he's the one Jesus says is truly son of the faith. You see, a son of Abraham, that would be an heir of God's promises. A son of Abraham, that would be one of the faithful. That would be a member of the true Israel. Not just the ones who are there by birth. Not just the ones who follow the rituals. Ones who truly have faith the way that Abraham did. Faith that was counted as righteousness. Faith that looked to the stars and heard the promise that that's how plentiful your offspring will be and who put trust in God to make it happen. Yeah, Abraham screwed up. Yeah, he he did things he shouldn't have done to get a son in an illegitimate way. But he also showed great trust in God once he got the right son. We're people, we mess up. Isn't it great that God has given us a means of reconciliation whereby that mess up doesn't condemn us for all eternity? Isn't it great that we have a way to stand and say, I repent if I've wronged someone I'll make it right and more. And then comes, if you are, if you do any kind of writing uh, in school, James, you will need to know this in the near future. Mitchell, you'll need to know this in the near future too. There is a sentence that is the most important sentence of whatever paper you're writing. Every paper has one. It's called a thesis. 
The thesis is the main point. It is the one sentence upon which the entire paper rests. It's either the thing you're trying to prove, or it's the thing that you're wanting to explain, or it's the one main idea of everything. In preaching, we call it a proposition. It's the whole point of the sermon in one sentence. I write one every single sermon I do, because you should see me when I don't have a point. (laughs) You think I wander. Just just listen when I don't have a point. Here's that thesis. Luke's thesis, the entire point on which his book rests, is found in chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You want to know the thesis of Jesus' life? There it is. He came to seek and to save the lost. Now, there's two meanings for seek. One is something that you don't have that you'd like to have. And so you look for it until you find it. The other meaning, and this is what this word actually means, is something you once had that you have to get back. Christ once had relationship with every single one of us, and sin has ruined that. God the Father, beginning of time, in creating Adam on that sixth day, and Eve By creating them, he had relationship with them and with the entirety of the human race through them. They're the only humans. But all of their, all of their progenity, all of the people that would be born from them, all of us as one human race with God, not united like all the same thing. We're not God, but we're about as close as you can get. I mean, we're the ones that have the image of God in us. We're the ones that God takes special time to create when he's creating everything else and makes everything in its big, broad swooshes, all the birds, all the animals on the land, all the fish of the sea, all the starry host, everything that God creates, he creates in these big, grand swishes of of words going out. Let there be light. Let there be land. Let there be sea. Let there be the starry host. Let there be animals. Let there be plants. Let there be all these different things. But when he gets to man, he stops and he takes his time to hand fashion us with his image. That is a unique position among all of creation. And we have a closeness to God that sin shatters and ruins. So Christ comes to get us back, find us in our abject depravity and to redeem us from our slavery to sin. That's why. In other words, I came to see exactly what just happened with Zacchaeus. That's why I'm here, Christ said. I think he kind of needed that boost on the way into Jerusalem. (laughs) I mean, he is about to die for the sins of the world to complete that reconciliation, I don't know that he needed a reminder of why he was here, but he sure used the opportunity to state it one more time for us. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's the point. And we as his children, we as his brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the Father in heaven, and dwelt by his very spirit, our purpose too is to seek and save the lost. We can't save them, but we can lead them to the one who can. May we be faithful as we follow him. Father, may we be faithful in our task to bring those who are lost to you. Father, 
help us honor you. Help us honor you in our repentance. Help us honor you in our faithful following of your Son. Help us honor you as we seek out the lost and bring them to Jesus. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen.